Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Seat Geek. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Thursday, January 24th, and uh, it's week two, I guess, of the Nordic running back search. Looks like a few people have been eliminated. Uh, Curtis Looper and Charles Huff and Tony Alford, at least as of last week when we were talking about those names, I believe, last Thursday. And uh, as of right now, uh, uh, with the interview process, I guess, still to follow here in the next day or two, uh, it looks like Mike Hart or Lance Taylor, a name that you unearthed yesterday, Tim, a former Stanford running back coach, has been with the Charlotte um, Charlotte of the NFL. Carolina uh, as, Panthers. I'm sorry. Yeah. Carolina and uh, in Charlotte. Uh, yep. <laughs> Where Pete flies from. Which I, still, right, yeah, which I, drove, I, I drove right by the stadium. I still want to go. I still want to go to a bowl game in Charlotte when Notre Dame obviously has a lesser year. And and uh, uh, how dare you well, consider well, that? <laughs> if and if yes. and when that ever happens again. But anyway, uh, it looks like those two um, thoughts on that. Mike Hart. I know mixed reactions. Uh, I think he's done a pretty good job of recruiting players. He did it at Western Michigan. He did it at, or helping with the process anyway, at Indiana. Uh, Lance Taylor with a fairly varied background, a couple stops in the NFL, I believe. Uh, Thoughts on that, guys? I mean, I think Mike Hart would be fine. Um, I I sort of look at Mike Hart as like, if you don't do better than Mike Hart, that's still good. Um, You know, I made some calls on Mike Hart yesterday, talking to people uh, Syracuse, Western Michigan, and Indiana. Um, he's really well regarded as a coach and a recruiter. Um, PJ Fleck has said that uh, when they would do sort of do the exit surveys for the recruiting weekends, Mike Hart's name popped up yes. consistently as the first or second like best thing that the recruits experienced while they were they were visiting, and he he's wanted to hire him again. Um, IU thought enough of him to make him assistant head coach after one year as running backs coach. And he's um, old. At yeah, this he's point. not very old. I mean, that's he's, he's, he's thirty-one. He's had a lot of seasons as a full-time assistant mm-hmm. for being a young guy. Um, so he's a he's he's inexperienced on a high level, yeah. but experienced as a coach. So I think he would be good. Um, I think Lance Taylor would be a home run hire. Yeah, I think I'd rather that's, that's the guy. I'd rather see the Taylor hire. Um, incidentally, I'll always know how old Mike Hart is because I know he was on Michigan in two thousand seven. That makes him twenty-one for that mm-hmm. game. Yeah. when you when you knew the season had come to an official close, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I like I mean Taylor's coaching background, and then when you hear good things about on the recruiting trail, yeah, and having been at Stanford, I mean there's there's a like what's that? And we know they're not bringing in someone that will not be considered a high level recruiter for this position this year. Yes, unless well, yeah. all things go yeah down the drain. That's yeah. just a now, given. At I this mean, point. there's still I mean I, what we're looking at here is there's still the interview process. To take place here today, tomorrow, this weekend, whatever. Um, so who knows what's going to happen in that? But I would imagine that they've zeroed in on these two, uh, and that's where they are now. And um, you know, it, it still it just still cracks me up that we become e- experts by reading two paragraphs of a bio, and and we know exactly who Notre Dame should get. It it, it makes me think back to. Uh, there was a lot of outrage when Harry Heastan was hired because Tennessee's offensive yeah. line had a poor year. Well, that was because they had two freshmen, I think, playing on that offensive line. How much reaction was there to Terry Joseph when he was hired last year? That was I mean, as quiet as it gets, really. I mean, he had a pretty good resume. Yeah. He was replacing Mike Elko, so people weren't going to well, be too true, excited. Well, true, true. But, yeah. but Tennessee and Texas A&M and North Carolina. Yeah. Nebraska. Nebraska, yeah. Uh, and he 
by all accounts, did a heck of a job. It helped getting Elohi Gilman, certainly. But I, I just, that's why I don't express too much of an opinion based upon a couple bios. Uh, Pete, you've had some conversations with people, and so that had, that carries a hell of a lot more weight, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that that's all you can do. You don't know how the personality is going to fit mm, into the right. room in most instances. But, you know, you look at Lance Taylor at Stanford, so understand what works at a high academic level. Uh, he played at Alabama, is from Alabama, so he understands Walked on and earned a scholarship. what it's Alabama. like yeah. to, you know, SEC country. And he's recruited Atlanta, which is a, he, he has taken four-star talent out of the SEC and brought it to Stanford, which is exactly the kind of thing that Notre Dame yeah. needs. So it's like, I think Mike Hart checks a lot of boxes, and Lance Taylor basically checks all of them. Yeah, uh, you know, I, 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 I would imagine that the same fear that there is among some people with with Mike Hart going back to Michigan, you're going to have the same thing with Lance Taylor, and being at Alabama. By the way, his father also went to Alabama, so the roots run really deep. But that can happen. That's football. I mean, I, you know, I think sometimes we, yeah. we we look at Notre Dame and don't think that these things are happening to other schools. Other schools lose coaches all the time. Alabama loses coaches like I like at a greater rate than Lou Holtz lost coaches. They just lost another one. They just, they, they, just while we're sitting here. That ding? Is that what that was? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Pete's alert that Alabama <laughs> lost a coach. If I mean, if whoever the next running back coach is here for two years, that's good. That's, I think yeah. that's all really you're expecting to – then then you'll find the next Mike Hart, the next Yeah, I just, I, 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 I just think people get a little overly worked up about it at times, and it just really isn't worth that. The main thing is, um, do, do you have a track record of productivity, and do you have a track record of showing that you can go on the road and recruit? And I, and I, I think that whoever ends up being the running backs coach in Notre Dame – as you just said, Tim, I mean, that, that, that person is going to, to, yeah. to fit that criteria. Which really every running backs coach at Notre Dame should fit that criteria. No, you're right, and, but that wasn't the case. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was, I mean, whoever they hire will be infinitely more experienced just as a coach than Autry Denson was. I mean, I think people forget Autry Denson had all of one season. That's a good point. As a FBS position coach when he got the Notre Dame job. And that was at Miami of Ohio. No Power 5 experience at all. Um, so Mike Hart has two years at Indiana. Lance Taylor, I think, was at Stanford for th- three or four years? Three, At least, at least three. three. At least three, yeah. Um, so, I mean, he recruited Bryce Love years, out yeah. of North Carolina to Stanford yeah. uh, and coached Christian McCaffrey. I'm not really sure what more you can ask for a running back coach, coach at that and point. And coach Christian McCaffrey in the NFL, too. Right. I mean, they, that's, being an NFL yeah. running backs coach helps yeah. you. T- because they are replacing a very good on the field running backs coach, which, you know, we will we'll lose sight of that. But with Taylor, you won't lose sight of that. He's he's coached the best. Yeah, He's no coached doubt. the best players. And, you know, looking back at that, you, Denson and Light, we're, it's everything it seems to be so rushed and pulled up now because of early signing day. People feel like they should have a running backs coach. They haven't had national, the end of the final national signing day. That's when all these things end and go down. Like, Kerry Cook's Alford... All, and all these guys are leaving the program in the past, and they're hiring guys like Denson and Light after National Signing Day. Yeah. It just feels like since it happened in December that it is Alfred f- left after February's National Signing the next day. Right. And Kerry Cooks did because he didn't get the job. Obviously, he didn't get the promoted. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I I just like at this point, if you're not going to do it right before the first signing day, right. the, the difference with doing I know they're having a junior day this weekend and some guys are coming in. Like that's not a reason to rush your running backs. It just back isn't. It's not going to it's and not going to impact they're, anybody. They're interviewing people now. So they'll probably tell the recruits this is who we think we're going to hire. Yeah. And then it will leak out that way. That's fine. Um just like the 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 time concerns I, I don't think are are that serious. I mean, it's like if this was March or something, maybe I'd feel. Well, the early signing period has changed everything. So I mean, it just it it, it changes just, the way people look at it. I think it's this is you're on a normal schedule right now. January is the time to find coaches, unless it's right. your head coach. But January is the time. This is when all this stuff gets worked right. out. They just started winter conditioning. That has nothing to do with your running backs coach. No, he technically and legally, he, he, he wouldn't be there anyway. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be there anyway. Um, a couple of things here in the first segment before we get to a whole bunch of questions, but I had an opportunity to talk to Asai Gilman, who's the father of Alohi Gilman, and, and uh, Pete, you've talked to him before. And it, I mean, what a first of all, a char- I mean, a character, right? and I mean that in a, in a, a very positive way. And you come away understanding completely why pound for pound Alohi Gilman is maybe the, I mean, certainly one of, and maybe the toughest player on the team. It's it's his background. Um, if you haven't read the story on Irish Illustrated, uh, take a look at it. Um, you know, he, uh, Asai Gilman runs uh, DB Tech Academy. So he's been teaching. He played at Southern Utah. He's been teaching football. He's been teaching DB play his whole life. And needless to say, he's been teaching Alohi uh, te- <laughs> DB technique his entire life. And it shows. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting guy. I wrote about him, I think it was right before the Navy game, just because obviously the, the Navy connections were kind of staring you in the face at that point. Um, yeah, I thought that dad was a really engaging personality, and, I mean, it was it was funny to hear him basically tell Lohi, like, Division One, like, what hell are you talking about? Like, he he was never... He's at the top of Division One. There, there was not really a lot of coddling going yeah. on. Um, you know, and it was it was refreshing to hear a dad say, yeah, I'm surprised at my son's success because yeah. you know he went to the Naval School Prep Academy. Um, who knew who knew where that was going to go, and then then it all happened from there. Um, but I think that anybody anybody who is being honest with themselves would be like, we even Notre Dame after they recruited him would say like, we thought he'd be good, but probably not as good as he's turned out to be. For instance, when we got word he might transfer to Notre Dame, you didn't think this guy's going to make 18 tackles in this playoff semifinal for Notre Dame someday? No, I mean... That didn't pop in, huh? It was, was... like, at that point, your understanding of Alohi Gilman was basically similar to this running back coaching search where you're like, you don't really know, what's the difference between Alohi Gilman and Avery Sebastian? (laughs) I don't know. No, that's a good point. I don't know, Avery Sebastian played at Cal. And we didn't didn't get an opportunity to see him in the the fall of 2017. We didn't really see him in the spring until the Blue Gold game when I thought he showed a little bit. Yeah, and he didn't show in August of 2017, but it makes sense. He hadn't been playing. Right. He was was at a brand new place. It's not... So we didn't know, but uh, we quickly learned. And... um, he you showed know. last fall, uh, last August camp, for sure. That's when we started realizing, mm-hmm. whoa, that's... I remember the interception that he just snared one yeah. at a, on a one-on-one play at the end zone. You're like, ooh, that's what yeah. they must see. Now, the he's ta- and he's talking about, I mean, he's dead set on the NFL. He believes he's going to play in the NFL. Uh, Asai and I kind of laughed a little bit about um, uh, how long he would still be at Notre Dame. He does have two years of eligibility, yeah. but, it, 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 I mean, it's clearly, you know, and God willing, as he put it, I mean... It, if everything goes the way they expect it to go, the way Alohi expects it to go, he's only going to be here one more sure. season. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll see with that. Injuries, of course, could curtail that or change that whole thing. But uh, 
Really interesting character. If you haven't read on Irish Illustrated, please do. Remarkable that the game I always make fun of, the blue goal game, Alohi Gilman's strip downfield, pretty much defined his season that he ended up having at Notre Dame in his first year as a starter. That's the type of play Alohi Gilman made, right down to saving the Vanderbilt game. We didn't know it was saving the game at the time. But those are the type of plays Alohi Gilman made, and it was in the Blue Gold game where you first saw it. I mean, that's rarely does that portend to what's going to happen in a a season. (laughs) And then, then, you know, I mean, for a while there, he was dominating the Syracuse game. Yeah, with those type of plays, (laughs) though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm very curious to see, like, where things go with him next because, I mean, the the bowl game was was pretty bad and exposed some real I feel like he made a bowl record tackles but at the same time you saw really you saw what he could do and what he couldn't do and both were really stark Yeah I I, I, I mean feel like you, that you, touchdown's you, not the one to point at right, though as if much If you're talking about something else bunch uh, like yeah. that wasn't just it Yeah cuz I don't feel like that I know that so was on Gilman made, What he should have made 26 tackles or, or I mean I think a couple of pass breakups in there would have been fine um you know he's I mean he's really got a unique skill set for the college level, but if we're talking pro level, where everyone is as good as Justin Ross, then oh things, well, there's no doubt a little bit different. No, there's no um, doubt, and he's not. I mean, he's he doesn't have the typical safety size that you're looking right, for okay. in the NFL either. So it's a it's an uphill battle. However, I would just say I won't put anything past him no, based upon what we've seen up to this. He point. won't be drafted high. It's make it's it's a guy that can play in the NFL for sure. Yeah, I mean 100%. that's he's a definitely a football player you want on your team. I yeah, mean, we're just not talking about the next Harrison Smith. No, it's just not. He's not a first that's round good. draft pick no, no matter what he does this year. But the New England Patriots will find him and he'll be playing in three Super Bowls yeah, with Tom fine. Brady. Not, not everyone needs to be the next Harrison. Smith. <laughs> Dame had three um, signed players in the Polynesian Bowl: uh, Brendan Clark, quarterback; Isaiah Rutherford, a cornerback. Maris Liufau, who played kind of like a nickelback, but I think they're projecting him as a linebacker long-term. And then Asa Turner, who they they still hope to land. Rarely do I watch one of those all-star games and break it down and and like the way every Notre Dame-affiliated player played, but that game I did. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it, but Brendan Clark could, you know, really muscled up and made some throws. He's kind of a... He's kind of a blue-collar, meat-and-potatoes kind of guy. You're not going to look at him and say he's a real aesthetic quarterback. But he did some good things on a bad team that had no chance of winning. So um, Isaiah Rutherford, I thought, you know, good feet, good recovery skills. I still think his, you know, we talk about backpedal. I call it the side pedal. It's a little bit choppy. Uh, he needs to improve that. Um, Leofau, um really, really physical. Uh, but needs to get a lot bigger. And then Asa Turner was playing a safety position, which looked a heck of a lot more natural for him and really played an excellent game. I just I just like whatever Turner plays, I like the downhill in his game. That's Do you remember? Uh, well, no doubt. He's going to, he's, he, he, A, he has to get bigger and stronger yes, to play linebacker, yeah. but that will come to him. He just looked very comfortable playing safety because that's what he's played. And I think probably at his age and in that type of game, when you, he has a scanning of the entire field, He's going to be way more comfortable doing that in a situation like yeah. this, where then you're in the box and it's all coming faster. And I mean, it was hard for Drew Tranquil at first. He admitted it, you know. And he's he's yeah. a guy that never wanted to leave safety. If you recall, he talked about it in yeah. all the time. And sometimes you just find out when your body grows into it and your speed, yeah, isn't uh, Justin Ross speed. You don't want to play safety. Right? No, <laughs> you find um, those things out. Turner and uh, Leofi, I find to be remarkably similar players. Um, I'm curious how both would slot into the roster at the same time. Turner reminded me of Zeke Mata a little bit on 
like the freshman year Zeke Mata, mm-hmm. not as much film. I don't remember Zeke Mata's film, but I, watching him, he played, you know, he had 100 and, 180 snaps or whatever as a freshman on special teams and played a little. He just reminds me of that kind of that raw body type where, all right, are we choosing big safety and you're going to commit to being big safety or can you be, can you, or, or can you be big enough to play linebacker? Yeah. Because it's linebacker speed, safety size. Does that, that's, yeah, that's the tweener I mean, you end up a lot with. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't agree with you, Pete, on them being the same player because I see Turner. Let's just talk from a safety perspective. I see Turner Moore as a free safety, and uh, Louis Fowler. I'm really having a tough time with his, his name today here. Marist. Marist um, uh, is more of a strong safety, actually, in terms of his hitting ability. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love the way Turner, and I saw this on high school film, and he showed an All Star game too, man. When he gets into the lower body of a ball carrier, the the play is over. He really, really, um, you know, penetrates and gets into the lower body and takes the guy out of the play. So we'll have more anyway. on Turner in a future question too. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, that's more of a what's yeah. he going to decide yeah. to do? Last thing in this segment: Notre Dame basketball. Briefly, uh, looking pretty dismal now. One and five in conference play. They've come close, haven't been able to pull it off. They had an opportunity the other night against Georgia Tech. They just—they are a poor offensive, poor shooting yeah. basketball team, and I and I, I don't—I don't think that necessarily these players are going to stay that way as they get older. But the really frustrating part, and Tim, you and I have talked about this. I mean, T.J. Gibbs is is a shadow of the basketball player that he was last I, year. I don't know, and, and I saw on the message board someone said, "I know he's been sick. He was sick for a game. He that yeah. was the." Yeah. That was the 15th game of the He's year. He's shooting 29% from two, on two-pointers. Okay, so, I mean, he is he is completely ineffective. Yeah, I mean, the world. I just he is. I, well, I wanted to look that up <laughs> yeah. because he 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 shoots some running, banking shots that have uh, it, that, that have like a 15% chance of going uh, He's in. taking Chris Thomas shots without Chris Thomas' level scoring ability. And I understand he on. has to force some because of where they are, but that's not but, that's not all of what we're talking no, about here. No, it, it is definitely not. I mean, he had to force some last year. They, the, game, the game was put on his shoulders last year when Matt Farrell got hurt. I mean, Matt Farrell only missed a couple games, but he couldn't move when he right. came back for a few games. T.J. Gibbs was a borderline, we didn't vote for him, Tim, but he was a borderline third-team All-ACC player last year mm-hmm. because when we did vote for him and somebody said, did you vote for T.J. Gibbs? Like, like no, well. but maybe I should have considered it because even though they were, I mean, they were fighting for our spot the whole right. year, you know, right. I, I just didn't think of him. He is not. He's not anywhere near. Like he's he is, not anywhere near. And part of that is the surrounding cast. I get that. Sure. But, but John Hoomey is a yeah, that's playing a like a first string that's a cop ACC out. with the same cast. They have really one good player, and that's it. That I, that it, is it. The fact that you can't tell the difference between Gibbs, Hub, Goodwin, Lashevsky. I mean, like who's who's the second best player? It is not yeah, well, Gibbs that right ro- now. That's that the rotates because Lashevsky yeah. probably was the second best player the other night. Goodwin was the second best player of the game before that. That's the problem. Yeah. Is that it rotates? Yeah. 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 Durham was the second the best op- player six the, games ago. Yeah. The options are all basically freshmen coming in. Like yeah. that's not. It's it's a very like long term. Next year, maybe they'll be good. Maybe they'll be like a ten and eight, mm-hmm. eleven and seven ACC team. But like they, it's a weird like watching being at the game and on Saturday and just sort of like watching the rhythms of the team. I don't I don't get the sense that they're this is like a team that hates playing. Like no matter how no. bad they actually are, like the record wise. They're close enough in games where they wouldn't be there. Yeah. It's just yeah. This you Saturday's know, the so issue. So if you can maintain that yeah. and not have this season be like get to a point of like 
I just want it to be over. I don't think they have that. can be a run No, I don't think. Bray does a great job of preventing that from happening. And when you're losing close games, I mean, it's frustrating, but at least you're in it. And I don't think, you know, I mean, I think... I think progress is being made. I, I what Leshevsky did the other night—that's progress. Right, what look, Goodwin did the previous game—that's progress. The NC State game post game, because uh, that—that's a home game against sure it's a ranked team, but Notre Dame had a had a better chance to win that game than they player. did Georgia Tech because you're playing a team without its best player yeah. in your building, and only one guy besides Mooney showed up for Notre Dame. It was Goodwin, and Leshevsky had a really bad day shooting, and he just looked he didn't look the bench. Yeah, he like, didn't look he didn't look confident yeah. and. Uh, he was coming off of a poor shooting night at North Carolina and a poor shooting game against Boston College when he had started well. Right. And Bray was just like, I have to get with him right away. Well, he got with him, and Nate Leshevsky was the only other guy that showed up down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It, you can't blame Goodwin for having a bad shooting day. He's not ready to be good back-to-back nights. None of these guys no, are. But, at least it, but, but T.J. Gibbs is. Yes. That is the problem. That's the frustrating yeah. thing. The fact that you can't tell the difference between Gibbs exactly. and Goodwin is not Right, good. and Goodwin, uh, Goodwin's going for it. I mean, he's playing yeah. more aggressively. Yeah. Bray asked him Great. to do that, and that's what he's doing. It doesn't always produce for you, but... It's progress, and Prentice Hub is. He, I mean, he doesn't shoot the ball very well. Um, he needs to be. Yeah, he need he needs to be more consistent, uh, and he's not there yet. But I think I think Goodwin and Lashewski is progress, and Mooney is Mooney's just been outstanding. I, you know, he's he not, really has because these are not fake stats for him either. You know how some guys on no, a one five team and he wasn't numbers. a rebounder. He's, he's, he wasn't a rebounder before, and he's become a double digit rebounder. I mean, he he transferred. He was just a shooter before. They needed something more from him, and so he's transitioned. So all the credit in the world for him. But it's uh, we, we got Virginia. I was going to say, yeah. if, it, if it's always darkest before it's light, Saturday yeah, will represent Virginia, the darkness. Virginia Duke on, on Saturday, Saturday Monday. And, <laughs> we, have, uh, we need a side bet on that, Pete. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Virginia's I'm, focus of 40 minutes of... I'm looking forward to being there just cause I can, so I can say that uh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, long segment one. We'll be back. Segment two, questions from our readers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from W.G. Pennington. Why did you guys punt on the Clemson-Osterine story? 
Clemson was the better team, but I feel it merits discussion and likely an NSA investigation if three of the 12 players tested positive twice. If there were similar results at scale, it suggests they were being provided performance-enhancing drugs. Similar results at I mean, I just don't in any way believe major programs are providing performance-enhancing drugs right now. I do 100% believe plenty of players are taking performance-enhancing drugs and have better ways of masking it than getting caught. Is that the best way I can say anything? It's kind of like weed. There's ways to mask weed and there's bad ways to mask weed. And the guys that get caught don't know how to mask it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. This is reality, folks. For, <laughs> for like, clarity of the question here, like, they didn't test positive twice. They tested, they gave two samples at the same time. The samples were the same. one test, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I, think he under, yeah. I think he understands that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that, all right, the, the to scale part I think is interesting. Um, I think I probably merits a, a closer look that Clemson is taking, but also people who cover Clemson or national college football should probably take a look at that as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what we were supposed to do about it. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, I guess my I took this to being as why don't you make a bigger deal of the Clemson Austrian story is because I believe there's plenty of people taking performance enhancing drugs in college and pro football and they always have been and they always will. Be. Well, and those players. In, in and those guys, Dexter didn't Lawrence play, yeah. didn't play. Um, he I don't know. We he were acknowledges in, that he says Clemson's the better team. Look, they're missing one of their five. Best but I mean, players. we were in Dallas, and we were supposed to be chasing that story down. I mean, I just it, it from our just from our perspective. I don't. I, I I guess my perspective is more cynical. I heard someone tested positive, and I wasn't like, oh my gosh, someone tested positive for PEDs. I was literally driving to Christmas, and my wife said, Clemson's had some players test positive. I go, who? Because I didn't care that players tested positive because I figured somebody would. Like, that's where I am in this. I assume someone's going to test positive. And when she said Dexter Lawrence, I became well, now, interested in the, how, in the results of what was going on. How often do but, you hear somebody testing positive in the playoffs? I just, that, how could you assume it was going to happen? No, I, when it happens, I don't blink. Oh, I got you. It's like okay. the Mike Tyson thing going on now. If Mike right. Tyson does something, I don't blink when I hear that news, <laughs> right? It, a football player tested positive. Okay. Yeah. So a football player got caught with weed. Did he really? Should we just make it a giant story about this and suspend everyone? I mean, it's just I, I have a different view of it than W.G. Pennington. Okay, other people, I got I you. I got you. I was glad it was Dexter Lawrence because I thought Notre Dame could win, but you know that didn't work. Yeah. Either, so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> at at way to go, K man. Predictions for signing day, which is coming up, isn't it? Yeah. It's boy, it's pretty two anticlimactic. Week, two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, that they'll end up with Foskey and Turner. How about that? You think they'll get both? Sure. I'm on the yeah. I'm on for Foskey. I'm on. Uh, what do you got? What do you got to lose? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no one's going to remember yeah. I said this. <laughs> <laughs> for Foskey, it's like Notre Dame, um, Notre Dame Louisville certainty for me, and Turner is like Notre Dame Michigan last year certainty for me. So. Notre Dame Louisville, what the game? The game coming no. up? Who will, win? The, who will win? Oh okay. well, they're they're going or, to get they're going to get Foskey. Or maybe barring something. Yeah, maybe New Mexico certainty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but Michigan they're, last year they're, they're like, going yeah. to get Foskey. I I would. From 37 years of speculating about these kind of things, I would say they won't get Turner, but they certainly can. Well, you would do the same thing then, Northern Michigan, because you flipped a coin and went the other way. So there you go. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I was wrong then too. What so. we're saying is, what we're saying is, we all believe strongly it'll be Fosky, and if we're wrong about Turner, then yeah, I mean, I matter. you know, we're we're night and we're 99.9 percent on Fosky, but yeah, 13 days from now, so that, that could change. Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, what are your thoughts on the <laughs> rather <great>. large? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the rather large bump in twenty four seven sports ratings that Jack Kaiser got today from 
high 600 to a four star and number 191 kid in the country. I'm particularly interested in Priester's take given how skeptical he was of the offer initially. I think he must have had a heck of a last 10 days in uh, Notre Dame's conditioning to jump 400 spots because that's all that's happened since. I don't put too much stock into these things because one of my favorite film reviews was of Osafa Mensa and he dropped. <laughs> so I disagree with the dropping of him. Um, I don't know how Kaiser. Well, he went to a, he went to a camp yeah, with high yeah. level players and and didn't didn't stand out. So Kaiser benefited from not going to the camp with high level players. He benefited from playing what, against what for the last yeah couple of years. Yeah, Pete. I hope Kaiser's better than. Uh, yeah, I hope so of too. We do. I I guess I'm not really clear on the mechanics of the move um, since Kaiser has not played a game since Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so winter conditioning, Pete. It's all yeah, and, I mean 24 seven. You guys do a good job of like sort of being fluid with the rankings, like. There, there doesn't need to be like one week where like you can only move this week. Like, yeah, it's not slotting. If Kaiser slotting, was that slotting. good um, during the season, then he should have moved up during the season. So I'm, I'm a little bit confused by that. Um, his ranking is what? Where is he now? One ninety one. So he is five slots ahead in the in the rising senior class. That would put him between Chase Claypool and Khalid Kareem. Uh, I, it, so I mean, does that like does anybody? It's like Miles Boykin getting a second round grade where Tuit and Golden Tate went. Like it just just doesn't really add up to me. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I wrote about him Thursday thoughts. If Jack Kaiser becomes Drew Tranquil, then I was wrong about that, and that would be a very productive player. Uh, well, let's I, go to I, more of a um, possible, like not possible. Let's do Greer Martini. Drew Tranquil will be pretty hard for Jack Kaiser, right? I mean, well, I, I, but Drew Tranquil was a was he a three star one? He became yeah. a he four became star a four star. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, all right. Well, well, okay. Well, he just same, became same a four thing. star. Yeah, same thing. I mean, I guess Drew Tranquil is a off last two years were awfully good. Is all I'm saying. Greer Martinez is a steady good football player for Notre Dame that had a really good senior year. Drew, Drew Tranquil was a dominant rover. And no, he was. I, guess, I, I, I The reason yeah. I threw his name out there was because he was a three star, and I, okay, yeah, I guess he yeah, became yeah. A, a four star. I, I just. A t- is Jack Kaiser one of the 200 best players in the country? That's what I'm saying. Like if Jack Kaiser had the same career as Greer Martini, I would say that he would be overrated at 191. Well, that's an interesting True. way of looking at True. it. Like, True. Yes. You know, I think Drew Tranquil was Drew Tranquil one of the top 200 players in the country? Probably yeah. in the end. Like mm-hmm. I think that one and night, as a, and okay, as a that's what I would. That's yeah. probably what if I he, was. If so, if Jack Kaiser had the same career as Drew Tranquil, I think he could look at one ninety one and think like that's pretty spot on. Yeah, he had two great years, and I think it's not fair to say like for Kaiser. I mean, his first year is not going to be. He doesn't need to tear both ACLs. Yeah, his first year, he's also not going to be like. Well, let's start measuring Jack Kaiser in two thousand nineteen. That's ridiculous, you know. And even two thousand. No, he's. I mean, yeah. What. So like you just when, need two really good years to be a program he, player. When he committed, Notre Dame staff was very upfront, and Jack Kaiser was very okay with it that he was a five-year player. I mean, it was it almost reminded me more of like a Mike Bray prospect where come in, work out, put on weight, we'll see where we are a year from now. He and, still is a Jack, five-year player, and Jack Kaiser was totally cool with that. Um, but isn't he still a five-year player despite a rankings bump? <laughs> I mean, he should be. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, guys who are ranked in the top 200 are usually not viewed as automatic red shirts. 
Yeah, I, I, you know I what I mean. Yes, that's you know, and like, I, and Khalid, I, like Khalid Kareem and Chase Claypool, where he ranked between. Right. Um, neither of those look, guys came Clark, in, and you thought, ah, well, we'll see you next year. Clark Lee love, likes him a lot. I don't know if he loves him. I, no, he loves him. He that, that I mean, he he was on him right from the beginning, and he wanted him in that recruiting class. So I, I, I mean, I'm an idiot if I don't pay credence to that. But I just I don't see it, and I don't I don't like to say I don't like to bring up the competition. Because you, we relevant. need to, yeah. no, it is, but we need to, as as analysts, we need to, I think I used the word in it, we need to extrapolate what the opponents are doing and be able to evaluate that player individually. However, I see him making plays against children. I mean, he's ma- he's making big plays against children, and, and when I see that, it's like, okay, how much weight can I put on that fumble cause there? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like, I don't. The the Kaiser recruitment it has very little to do with his highlights. I think it has to do with like height, length, and multi sport ability, and the fact that he plays a whole bunch of different stuff, which is goes back to okay, really good all around athlete. Did everything for his high school football team. Put him in a college weight program. Have him dedicate to one position. Notre Dame is a super easy fit for him. They have connections to the school, connections to sort of South Bend, Mishawaka. He's not going to go anywhere. He's going to be a low maintenance. And then see what you have in 2021, 20, 22. Yeah, he is still a five-year player, despite yeah, any ranking. Great. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, Jared Grace, Dan Fox, all pretty good players are five-year yeah. guys. I mean, mm-hmm. they redshirt as freshmen. I hope Jack Kaiser has a great career at Notre Dame. At B-Man underscore 2017, how do you guys feel about Indy offering a gray shirt to a recruit and then continuing to push for commitments from and guaranteeing scholarships for two additional players? I'm great with it. I mean, I think it shows really savvy recruiting chops by Notre Dame. I mean, essentially, they're they're going after guys and saying, like, we don't know if we have a spot for you, but if you want to come here, we're going to you know, recruit yeah. you and get you to come here. And but, we're talking about Lee Fowl in, in this and specific J.D. Bertrand. And, yeah. and J.D. Bertrand. I mean, it's not it's not gray shirts in the way that it's a gray shirt everywhere else. Right, because they're I mean, not that, pulling get, it. that gets dropped on them at the last yeah. minute. Um, Notre Dame has been very upfront with Leofau and Bertrand from the very beginning that like, look, we're full, but we really like you. Is there a way we can make this work? Yeah, but you're going to have to make it work with us. You almost need a different word. It's a communication. Yeah, you really, you really do because it's not like gray shirts everywhere else. I don't, I don't think. (laughs) I am not going to let you guys get away with this Notre Dame unique vocabulary. We're not red shirting. (laughs) We're preserving a year of eligibility. No, but it's (laughs) we got we got blue zone and red zone and green zone, and we can call this. uh, what Notre Dame would call it gold shirts or something, and figure out. Yeah, there you go. It works. It works. It works. (laughs) No, I don't have a problem when someone's up front. With a student Just, athlete in the yeah. recruitment. In fact, Notre Dame seven or eight years ago was less upfront with a recruit that came to, and that's now they've learned not to do that. This is a this is the perfect way of handling a guy that you're not sure you can fit, but you most likely will fit. The only reason they have to do this is because technically the guys they think might transfer and leave have not done that yet. Yeah, it's otherwise like, you have room. Like you, they know who might go. But let's say all those guys decide to stay. Yeah. <laughs> then I mean, you're in trouble. The but, question here, B Man. 2017, you could be rephrased. How do you feel about Notre Dame having 85 scholarship players? Because that's really what the question is. Because to to have 85 scholarship players, you have to get creative and you have to get yeah. aggressive. And if you do that while communicating well with the prospects, yeah, I don't. There's the communi- nothing underhanded about nothing. this. The communication is key, right? That's yes. yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. number one here. 
Our next question, at CJ Natchtigal. If Notre Dame were to hire Mike Hart as running back coach, would you consider that an upgrade to Denson? Both have proven to be great position coaches, but what evidence is there Hart will be an upgrade on the recruiting front? Go ahead, Pete. Pete jumped into that one. <clears throat> um, he signed Samson James at Indiana this year. He's a four-star prospect who was committed to Ohio State. I believe that would make him the highest-rated prospect that Notre Dame would have signed at running back over the last four cycles where Autry Dunson's here might be comparable to C.J. Holmes. I'm not exactly where Samson James finished up. Tony Jones is the highest of all of them. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, yeah. I just, Mike Hart is, I talked to somebody at Indiana about Mike Hart, and he was described to me as, you know, it's like you get former players who have gone pro. And this is not, this doesn't have anything to do with Autry Dunson. It has everything to do with Mike Hart. Former players who go pro that getting into coaching is sort of like, well, what am I going to do next? I need to find something that's involved in football. That's not Mike Hart's bag. Like, he got into coaching to kick ass in coaching. Um, I think that on the recruiting trail, he's proven at IU that he's going to be very, very aggressive. Um, and I, honestly, I think it would it would be hard for Notre It would almost be impossible for Notre Dame not to upgrade um, from a recruiting perspective. Now, at, back. as a running backs coach, we mentioned the 40 straight games without a fumble. I mean, you know, do you give all the credit to Autry Dent for, for that? I, I don't know. But the fact is they come came under his jurisdiction and you they never fumbled. You have to give Yeah, some. absolutely. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, Josh Adams maximized his ability. Dexter Williams maximized his ability in the end. Um. You know, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of evidence that, that Hart's going to be a better recruiter than Denson. As far as on-field coach, I think that's a lot closer. I got an interesting note. This is kind of a tangent uh, in terms of recruiting running backs to Notre Dame because we remember the distant past now, just a bevy of runners coming through when you're Dorsey Levin's a future pro bowler transferring out because he can't play. Right. But funny, there's a really interesting reality in that stat. Name the last Notre Dame running back to get any mention whatsoever for first-team All-American. Alan Pinkett? Yes, in 1985. Someone also texting you this information. <laughs> yes. Is that crazy to think well, should of? Should I check my phone, too? That Julius yeah. did not get, like, one nope, mention. I, I guess know. they were terrible in 03 when he was great. Yeah, he was, but team Alan wasn't... Pinkett was terrible. His team was terrible. Yeah, Alan was Pinkett wasn't terrible. Different, I'm sorry, 85. Different age. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, who could be on it? Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the other... I'm going to use this phrase, and it's going to sound really negative. I don't. He, he is Mike Hart is the anti-Denson. I mean, really tough on his players on the field. Better tenacious recruiter. I mean, it's really kind of the opposite of of. I mean, in terms of personality, of the two. So can't wait for three fumbles in Athens in the first quarter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> at at uh, at Greg twenty one twenty six. Where do you think Chase Claypool can take his game? Anywhere from fifty to seventy catches. Wouldn't shock me. I'm curious what you guys think is his ceiling. I think it's closer to. I I wouldn't say it's his ceiling. It's just what I think how next year is going to go would be close, a lot closer to 50 than 75. Yeah, I see. I would. I don't think we're going to have the 75. We're going to see the 75 catch guy. Uh, yeah, I don't for think two so years maybe. Because um, that's a that that's a do dominant know, pass. Do you know how many passes that, Chase Claypool caught this past season? See, Mac had 32 or 36. So Claypool is probably. 40? He hit he hit fifty. Fifty. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he should he should have that he should have that at least again. I mean, be, he he become will he become the go to guy that Boykin was? Yeah. 
I do. Oh, well, you mean in terms of the total trust factor? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, not, I think not he'll have in terms his numbers. of trust factor. He could have his numbers. But... I think he'll have his numbers. Um, <laughs> I definitely think he will have Miles Boykin's numbers next year. But I don't know if the trust factor would be the same on third yeah. down in that I think Chris Fink will be the I mean, early choice. I've got, I've got confidence in Claypool taking you. the next step after the next step that he took this past season. I mean, he took he took a significant step this past season if, where he went through those period of, period of games, like four games, where he was going to defy anybody that was going to try to tackle him. Yeah, he had a really good November, Tracy Claypool, actually. there was He was just kept improving. Yeah. You know, I had a better November? Chris Fink. I, yeah, I really, really going after Fink, if, yeah. If the Louisville game was next week and you had said, who's Notre Dame's number one receiver, it would be Chris Fink. Which he did two years prior to that. He has a tendency to to, to rise in November. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I, I thought Chase Claypool, maturity-wise, I mean, everybody says this. Chip Long has said it. I mean, he took a huge step up this past season. If he can do something comparable to that, he's going to be a really, really good receiver. Yeah, sometimes, and Chip, the other thing Chip Long is fond of saying is when you're a senior and you have no other chances, you become really mature. Right, you say that about L.J. Mack all the time, right? You become more mature, yeah. right? You're focused on the fact yeah. that this well, is our, it. Our memory of Claypool, of course, is the drop pass and the... Although he ended up making a spectacular short catch in the Clemson game. But. Yeah, I would not like to list my memories of Notre Dame's players from the last time I saw them play. And yeah, that wouldn't, be, that. that wouldn't be good. Uh, at at CMU, CU, CMU Penn's fan. Thank you. <laughs> After Cole Komet, how do you see the depth at tight end playing if out I, for Notre Dame If I would year? type it correctly, yeah. I might be able to say yeah. it correctly. And had you ever said it correctly, it would have been yeah, a bad yeah, too. So. so. Um, <laughs> Uh, Brock Wright will definitely be Cole Komet's backup. The key here is how much is Brock Wright used? <laughs> how much are they go the 12 package or how much do they trust the receivers to be now as a three wide offense or two back offense? I guess the most interesting part of the offense in the spring because it's all skill development is Brock Wright. Do they still like the 12 package because Brock Wright is such a good inline blocker and Cole Komet can do everything that any of the last tight ends can going back to at least then maybe stopping with Tyler Eifert, but all right, well, Troy okay. Nicholas. I just I, let me just. We've been saying that. Now let's see him actually do that. Right, but now is the time to do it. I mean, look, Cole Komet better be better than Alizé Mack at Notre Dame because uh, they need that offense. Yeah, that's not even. I asked a question, question in a series I'm writing. Okay, and, but he's not any. He has not produced anywhere near that. I know he had a significant injury last year, but I guess my point is Troy Nicholas are the numbers I would be looking for, and Troy Nichols hadn't caught a pass when he produced those yeah. numbers. I mean, so that's you know. You got to be kind of more productive. They need him to be productive because Brock Wright will not catch a ton of passes next year. They and, won't throw. They won't throw many passes to Brock Wright. Yeah, it's uh, and so with the two redshirt freshmen, I really think you got to hope for spot duty because you have so many wide receivers to work in, and they like the two back offense. And people think, why would you have a two back offense if you're not sure about your running backs room? Because they're versatile guys. Yeah. Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones's number one attribute right now is that he does a lot of things decently, yeah. and he's a senior. I just think that you're not going to see the, the young tight ends much this year. I think it's no, the I following think, year. I wouldn't think so either. And I, look, I, Cole, I know Cole Komet's ability. I get it. I'm just saying, okay, now you're right. It's time for him to produce. Um, it's not their, – their tight end situation is not very good right now. I mean, my, uh, Michael Mayer and Kevin Bauman come in the following year. Love both those guys, especially Mayer. I think he continues to rise. Tommy Trimble and George Takis. Takis was hurt all year. Uh, Trimble isn't a very big guy. Their tight end situation isn't great right now compared to what it has been. I think just spot spot duties or, or spot performances where if Tommy Trimble has two games where he makes a couple catches downfield with his speed, that's great for the offense, right? You don't need it. You don't need those guys. You just need them healthy to develop. 
You just got to keep the two tight yeah, ends healthy, I, and those guys continue to develop underneath them. I mean, it's definitely Komet one, right two, Tremble three, Takas four. And but Takas could come in and block, you know, because you can't have Tremble in there blocking if you have to take out a injured, twisted ankle Cole Komet or Brock Wright. Yeah, that if that makes sense. You know I what think, I mean? It's like two guys for a I spot. I also think that they would be much more likely to go four wide next year. Yeah, uh, maybe with no tight ends or Komet just lined out wide. Um, we'll we'll see. That's I. It's they, not. It's not a strength for them right now. There's just not. Uh, there's just not enough proven depth there. Twelve hundred and ninety snaps by the tight ends last year. You will not see that this year. I just wrote a bunch of stories to send for vacation, so I have all these stats in my head. Twelve hundred and ninety snaps from the tight ends last year. That's a lot. Yeah, not next year. Not next <laughs> that, year. That won't happen next year, right? Uh, Daniel Squarey, It appears to me that Jonathan Jones and Bo Bauer are the only linebackers on the roster in 2019 that are expected to play the Mike linebacker spot. Which of the other linebackers do you see moving to Mike in 2019 and future years? It's a good question. Uh, I still think the ideal scenario is Jack Lamb rose into a Mike linebacker. I think there's a lot of Well, he's got the stature to do that. Yep. That needs to happen there. Beyond that, it's, you know, it's like I kind of need to see the next group of linebackers here before saying who is and who isn't and who fits where. And, I mean, the difference, like, Tavon Coney played both. Drew Tranquil played two linebacker spots. I, I think sort of figuring out who is the Mike linebacker. It's 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 a serious question this year, but, you know, in future years, I don't know, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay for the coaches not to know who's going to be the starting Mike in 2020. Could could Bilal play Mike? Just as easily as he could play Buck. People are trying to slot him at Buck already, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they have more options at Buck linebacker. Yeah, yeah. But you need, you need a Mike. I, you know, Bo Bauer ascended early last season. Uh, played on special teams all year. The oddity here is that John Jones didn't make the jump last year to being like, oh, well, he's clearly a decent yeah. backup Mike linebacker that they will go to as a senior, and then young guys will overtake eventually. One year ago right now, we'd be putting John Jones right at the starting Mike linebacker for yeah, sure. Yeah, we probably would. And, and, probably and maybe he, and, and with two years of eligibility, correct? Yes. Two years yes. of eligibility. So maybe, I mean, maybe he's the guy. I don't know. We've talked about it in, 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 I think a few times here in a previous podcast, the last few linebacker is going to be, we're going to, we're going to be talking about linebacker every podcast and through the spring and through the summer and going into the fall. I agree though, that Jack Lamb is a good call for the future. Yeah, he's six, three. Spot. Yeah. He's got the stature. People are it. putting him everywhere though. <laughs> Have you ever just seen all he's this? He's got a long post? way to go. Yeah, strength wise. Oh, yeah. Hey, missing that, missing that year of the shoulder injury. No doubt. I mean, I talked cut. to him on the on the the field yeah. before. Uh, yeah. Um, two days before the the Cotton Bowl, and there's a long way to go strength wise. But he he has significant setback. But you know, he's he 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 towers over over most people. At Lee Joseph, at Lee underscore Joseph, just in case you need his Twitter handle out there. With regards to outside coaching of quarterbacks, Golson, Kaiser, and Wimbush all use the guru out of California. Will Book use Whitfield or someone else? What are the rules? What does Kelly prefer? Who are the top QBs in the nation when it comes to development? Uh, Book, his coach is Will Hewitt. Um, or Hewlett. Hewlett. Yeah, it's Hewlett. H-E-W-L-E-T-T. Um, nice guy. Uh, they work together in California. Will's in Texas now. They keep in touch. Um, you know, there's some, like, film study type things. I, everybody has their own guy. Um, but it's like, I think... Th- 
people there's a misconception that these these are like major improvements that are happening it's just like tweaking things around the margin like I think the Golson was so well publicized, people just remember that. For, yeah, it's a, oh, for it's, sure. it's yeah. a checklist, right? Yeah. I mean, this is the checklist that you have to to keep in mind. I think the other misconception is that, you know, these guys are all trying to change the quarterback and not work with the coaching staff. I mean, that's that's that would be crazy. Yeah, but that happens sometimes. Well, I'm sure it does. Um, I mean, so especially with the more high profile guys. But, but with, I mean, Wimbush, you worked with Taylor Kelly. Um, who played at Arizona State when Chip Long was there. So, I mean, they were, they were very, like, on right. point with the message. What difference did it make? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure that it made a difference at all. But um, I think some of that comes down to, like, everyone else is improving as well. So, it I don't know. It's, like... I don't. I don't think there's one guy that everyone goes to. It's not like there's a Dr. James Andrews of quarterback mechanics. You know, uh, you know Tom House and like sort of his outfit. Mm-hmm. That was what Taylor Kelly was with last year. Um, you know, they've also worked with guys who succeeded, like you know Breeze, and I think Brady has had some stuff in sort of the House group. Um, you know, it's like George Whitfield. There, just go to did Brady. He, did he work with Johnny Manziel? Sure. Obviously, that worked at the college level. Also, Devin Gardner and Everett Golson did not work at the college level. So it's, I think, so it comes down to the quarterback, not the quarterback guru. That's that's the most important part of it. At Dubs on Dubs, pick one of the following that had the greatest impact on the 2019 season. Shane Simon at Rover, Lawrence Keyes at receiver, Josh Lugg on the O-line. Well, we're certain that Asmar Bilal is moving from Rover to inside linebacker. So somebody's got to play the rover position. Keys at wide receiver, there's really one starting spot open. Lug somewhere on the offensive line. We're gonna hear we're gonna hear about Josh Lug until he finally gets in the starting lineup. Is he uh, your Cole Komet of this part of the podcast? I'm not <laughs> look, I am not I'm not down on Cole Komet. I, I just wanna we, we next jury tillery. We've kind of yeah. We've but we've kind of like christened him as and he hasn't really done anything yet. I mean he I love what he did against Northwestern. There was a couple big plays there. But anyway, uh, my pick is number one, Shane Simon, because I, we think that Bilal is moving from the rover position. I think I'd probably go Simon one, lug two, keys three. I would agree with that. i definitely go Simon one, and I don't have a two or a three. Because I, I, the way I look at it, there's definitely only one starting spot open at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, I would assume, I actually wrote this is all stuff that's coming on Irish Illustrated very soon, by the way. But I, I really think Michael Young will win it in the spring, and that I'm not sure he will in August camp. I think Kevin Austin by then is at the point where he can be in front of Michael Young. Um, but then the thing is, it's not like those guys have to play every darn, I caught myself, every mm. snap as the third receiver. I mean, you could get Lawrence Keyes involved just because Michael Young or Kevin Austin wins the job. These guys, it's not like, well, hey, here's it, my three guys. That's and a coaching decision. That's a decision that, that Brian Kelly and his staff have to make. That Chip Law, they have to they make should. that decision. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as long as as long as the guy's capable of being yeah, on the yeah. field, well, I would, if you, I hope they're, they're well, the no, I, year of the program. I know, I get, <laughs> yes. I get it, and and a lot of times, quote, capable is right. just yeah. whether the coach deems whether you can send him out there or not. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I not just because of what Clemson did, because Clemson, Clemson had had some dudes, but um, you need I, you need to do it. I, I if you if you're going to rotate on the D line, why wouldn't you rotate a receiver? That's too? how I feel. And my other part is Lug has to go beat someone out. Keys can be part of it. Yeah, Does that makes sense. That's yeah, kind of I mean, how I look at that. Way. Yeah. yeah, and I don't, you know, I mean Lug. Not okay. Now I look at I look at offensive line a little differently than I do tight ends. Cole Komet. Uh because 
Second year, if you didn't play as a freshman, because we saw this with Eichenberg, he just wasn't ready to play as right. a redshirt freshman. When you're a redshirt sophomore, now you've had another another year in the program, another year with Bayless, which is so significant. We see that year after year, uh, or or we have the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, I expect now is the time that Josh Lug needs to start taking the step forward. He didn't last year. We were surprised by that a little bit because we had heard so many good things about him, but he was a redshirt freshman, mm-hmm. and it wasn't surprising. Yeah, this is the time Eichenberg did, but we didn't know about it until after the spring. Your third year is yeah, that's what that happens is. for an offensive lineman. Yeah. For a receiver, it really needs to happen your second year. Especially when there's just an opening for you. At M. Malham, I get that it's almost impossible that Jerkovic, Jerkovic beats out Book in 19, but if Jerkovic is really impressive in the spring and fall, will they make a package for him just to get some playing time like Book did last year? And he mentions the goal line stuff, but obviously you would not remove. Yeah, I don't know why line. you would do that. I mean, I think there's a couple things. If Book is struggling... I mean that's that's why, I mean that's why Book was was playing early last year because Wimbush was struggling. So if Book is struggling, there's you're more likely to see Jerkovic, provided that he's playing well. Uh, the other thing is, does Jerkovic bring something to the equation that Book doesn't? That's the real thing. To, that when you want to use another quarterback, he's got to bring something that the other guy doesn't, right? Which would be what the deep ball. We he probably can throw it further. That doesn't mean that he's better at it. But Book wasn't but, great at the deep ball. No, he no wasn't. How you no, he, was, no, he I mean, wasn't. So then he does he probably throw it better. Yes. I would. Otherwise, they wouldn't have recruited. I'm sure they didn't have receivers who could run the yeah. deep route. But there were guys open for Ian Book to hit in games. Sure. Yeah, so I think that's... If we're going to find a weakness in Book... That's it. So we'll, that would be about the only... I mean, you're not taking Book out of the goal line. He's a, I mean, knows what he's doing it, down this, there. I mean, it reminds me of, like... Why can't you just put in Dexter Williams for the running plays? Why can't you put in Phil Jacobic for the long pass plays? Because <laughs> it's a ridiculous notion. I still think you should put in Dexter Williams I, for the running I would plays. like <laughs> Phil Jacobic is probably, if not the most interesting guy for me during spring ball, is right at the right there at the top. Just I just want to see what he has because we have not seen anything from him one way or the other since he showed up, short of maybe like two minutes at Culver in August. We don't see practices. He doesn't get, like, real 11-on-11 reps. Like, every practice we go to that's open, the number two quarterback runs the offense in 11-on-11 situations. So when we see it, it will be we'll be seeing it for True. the first time. And I don't think that happened see, yeah. very much at all last we year. We saw just a little there in, uh, in that famous August practice that made Wimbush famous. Uh, Dracovic, remember he dropped that really nice touchdown to Austin, and that made everybody happy because it was two freshmen playing football and they're obviously much more exciting players when they're freshmen than when they're sophomores, sure. except of coaches who want to use players. But uh, I'm ex- I, I really want to see him. And do, do we know that they completely gave up on tweaking his mechanics as I hoped they would give up on it, or is it just did Brian Kelly do the old "I'm sick of talking about my third string well, quarterback, I don't so we don't I, care yeah, anymore"? <laughs> I, I, my last conversation with Tom Reese about it was that you know you can make adjustments up to a point, yeah, and at a certain yeah. point, the player is the player. And there, there's there's too much muscle memory involved. That's how I feel. That's without um, ever coaching a quarterback, yeah. but in doing anything in life, you're changing it now, and he's one of the elite, one of the elite players. Well, until until you get your accuracy issues completely straightened out, it's on the table. Yeah, fell too. All right, last question. Not Jay to fell one. Which of the young corners seems destined to replace Julian Love? Who do you think has the most talent, and who do you think is the most ready? Hopefully, it's the same guy. I'm not sure that it is. I don't know. I, I I don't really have a coherent answer for this question because I think there's just there are too many options. I don't know if the staff knows yet. 
I uh, I would say that the <laughs> what re- you've got to have an answer. I don't. There, I don't know there's if it's the same guy. I don't know longer. if it's the same guy. That's a good. That's, that's a, why I don't. Yeah. I don't think that it. I don't think it necessarily is because I like Boykin's talent in terms of his length. Kind of his aggressive nature and what we see him in one-on-one in scout team practices is what we watched. Uh, he certainly is not the most ready as of today. It, I mean, they registered him for a reason. But Bracey or Griffith moving over is the most ready. Look, Dante Vaughn cannot be counted on this year. as a well, med- He is a medical redshirt candidate. Yeah. For sure. He, of I mean, course he is. certainly he's going to miss spring ball. Yeah, so why so. would he not be a medical redshirt candidate? I mean, no, he, he could be better as in another year than he would be next year when he loses an entire offseason of development yeah, that he true. needed. But by then, somebody will probably have developed ahead of him. It's a good question because it's wide open, and Pete's answer is probably the best because I could talk for the next 10 minutes about what the possibilities are. I think Boykin is the most talented. I kind of have a sense that D.J. Brown is the guy that has a good chance of winning that, but I don't really have anything strong to go on there. Do you move... Let's say Kyle Hamilton can come in and play nickel. Do you move Troy Pride to boundary and Crawford to? Well, Crawford's a risk medical risk right now. I too. I, I know I know. I'm just throwing yeah. ideas out. I don't think you want to move Troy Pride to boundary. No, That's not I his best position. Crawford can play anything if healthy. Yeah, DJ mentally. Brown's the kind of the intriguing one there. He's six one. He's got a little bit more size. He played early, so he obviously was doing things that they liked. But Boykin is. I mean, Boykin clearly has the best ability, but is he better served at, at field or boundary? Probably field. And he probably needs a year, ideally, to. I would. I would imagine. I that. would imagine Isaiah Rutherford comes in. KJ Wallace is a smaller guy. Bracy is a good cover guy. You probably don't want him playing boundary. There, there are so many. This and linebacker, we're going to be discussing this every week. I've said this once here already. I'm, I really think. The spring, they're going to give Griffith a long look at the boundary because they don't have Crawford or Vaughn on the field. You don't have anybody in the field. Well, no, it's true. I don't, I don't mean the field corner. I mean on the actual football field. You don't have enough guys. You have three rising sophomores and pride. Yeah, but how – I mean, you got more bodies at corner than you do safety. But the two safeties are going to start next year. Well, it's true. You know, those guys are not getting beat out by Houston Griffith in his sophomore year, the two starting safeties returning. Fair enough. Think. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean no, that shouldn't. Yeah. I, I don't see why. I'm or not how saying that would Griffith happen. has to be the corner. I just mean, like, if you want to get him on the field next year, see what you got in the spring at corner. I would agree. We've run long here today. I hope that. I don't think anybody. Would be, Jack will be offended. I don't know that anybody else will be offended. He <laughs> likes a little bit tidier than this, but uh, we appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next Thursday. Presumably, we'll have some. Uh, running back uh, coach information. O'Malley will be on uh, hiatus next next Thursday, so we'll be we be here, Pat. Pat, Pat. Pat? Pete, <laughs> Pat will not be here. We'll be here, Pete. Pete probably will be. Okay, <laughs> invite Pat too. Yeah, in my stead. Pat, Pat would be my brother, and I just yeah. got off the phone with him before I got here. But uh, he won't be here because he lives in Oregon. But Pete Sampson yeah. will be. I will be as well. We appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.